It's great to be in the house of the Lord, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 8. Genesis 8, as you do so, many of us have known and loved the Brogdon family for a long time now. Certainly, they've been a great encouragement in our lives over more than four years now. Uh, By now, most of you know that uh, Tina went home to be with the Lord this past Monday. Services will be here next Sunday, but I know there's some family here. I'm not sure exactly where they are. Okay, some of you guys in here. uh, Hey, we love you. We're praying for you. Sweet and precious lady. And we know she's in the presence of the Lord. And I just want you to rest in him today. We're praying for you, praying for Mike, um, all of the family, okay? Um, I've been asked a number of times about what's happening at Asbury, just about three hours from here up in Kentucky. Uh, Listen, I'm always overjoyed when I hear that uh, people are on their face before God. So let me say I give God praise and glory. Now some of you are more on the cynical side and you can say, well, let's watch this. Listen, man, if people are coming to faith in Jesus, if people that are far from God are getting close to God, if the wrong is turning right, then why shouldn't we praise the Lord for what God is doing. Now, my prayer is God, let it be here too. You're not just real there, you're real here. And let it spread like a wildfire. You know, it did over 50 years ago. In 1970, it spread from there to 130 plus universities. I studied it in school, but we're seeing a manifestation of the presence of God. If it's not real, it'll be made manifest in time. Don't worry about it. You're not God. Don't be the Holy Spirit. If it's not real, it'll peter out. The truth is that if God is moving, it will spread. Lives will be changed. Transformation will take place. And I believe, that we are seeing some sparks among us. Next hour, we have several being baptized. Y'all not surprised by that, right? Every week, we see people getting baptized. Here, last week, the baptistry was broken. Did I tell y'all that? We had a problem. We had baptism scheduled last week. Listen to this. This past week, uh, GCA, our largest ministry right here, every, every day on this campus, there's about 1,100 kiddos running around here. Praise God. And this past week, we used to call it Spiritual Emphasis Week. And then when we thought about it, we said we really should emphasize spiritual things every week. So it's sort of named, I think they call it Discipleship Days. Doesn't matter what it's called, but they had some special chapels. And just a few days ago, I want you to know that we had 30 GCA students that I am currently aware of, and I hope this grows, but 30 students that have prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that great? Now, that's in our middle school and upper school, or middle school and high school. And so God is moving among those older kids. We've seen a number of young ones come to faith in Christ. So let's rejoice in what God is doing. Let's not be a cynical people. You know, in Philippians, God taught me a powerful lesson years ago out of Philippians chapter 1. When Paul was imprisoned, and don't worry, I'm splitting the message up already. I know that you blank filler outers are going to be disappointed again. Come back next week. I'm sorry, but God's still good. So here's the thing. I, I know that God is doing some wonderful things here. I, I know that he's doing some wonderful things in other areas. What I want to see is long-term transformation. That's what we want to see. We don't want to just see a flash in the pan. We want to see long-term transformation. We want to see lives and families and whole communities being changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see churches filling with worshipers that love God and want to worship in spirit and truth. But out of Philippians 1, the point is this. Paul in prison said, you know, some folks, in fact, I'll just read a little bit of it. Some folks 
are preaching Christ for the wrong reasons. Some are preaching out of strife and envy, some out of goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition. They're not sincere. Uh, In fact, they're adding affliction to my chains. But some are preaching out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. But his conclusion was fascinating. For those of us that might lean towards cynicism about a move of God, Paul said, what then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And for this I rejoice. Yes, I say rejoice. Christ said, even if the motive of their heart is wrong, Christ is high and lifted up. I'm going to rejoice even in my chains. So I believe we as a people of God have a responsibility to rejoice. I didn't speak to this at all last week. It was only three to four days in. And so discernment says, let's watch and wait and see. And I know there are some tweaks coming. I think the president has probably made some wise choices. If it's a a true work of God, it will be done in decency and order. And there are things like that. But you can't schedule these things. You can't plan them. They just happen. If you try to plan revival and you put it on your sign, you can pretty well bet you're not going to get it. (laughs) But when you just trust the work of the Lord, great things happen. And so we're just excited about what God is doing. I'm thrilled that in our GCA family, you know, sometimes you think you have a Christian school, uh, all or most of those kids are saved. Listen, we have a lot of students and a lot of family members that still need the Lord. Just because you put Christian on the name doesn't send everybody straight to heaven. Y'all know that, right? And so let's pray for our school. Let's pray for our teachers. Let's pray for our administrators. I believe Pastor Matt, our head of school, is actually baptizing a high school young man, upper school young man that just recently came to know the Lord. They can have a lot of influence on his classmates. And so let's pray for the work of the Lord in this. We are talking, of course, about Genesis fact or fiction. I've been amazed at some of these more obscure messages, how people just keep getting saved every week because it proves to me that it's a work of the Lord. When you're talking about crazy views and other things out here and evolutionary theory, and yet people are consistently coming to Jesus, when we make a beeline back to the cross, it just reminds me that this is a supernatural work of God. If it's true, it's true, and all of it's true. If it's false, it's false, and all of it's false. Choose. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But how about you choose this day whom you will serve? And so I've made my choice. I pray you've made your choice. We're not going to do a verse in in chapter 8. We're just going to go back to the verse in chapter uh, 7 because I want you to just get it way down deep in your heart. Y'all say it with me, Genesis 7, 5, because this is important stuff. You ready? Here we go. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Now that's important, guys. It's important that Noah obeyed completely. What have we been learning? Genesis 6, a storm is brewing. We spent two weeks talking about that. A storm is brewing. Then we moved on to the second part of that chapter, and I said, be prepared. Good friends of ours are here from uh, the first church I served as senior pastor. It's good to see you guys. Love your family. Um, Their their family has endured some storms and remained so faithful. I remember when Brother Rick went home to be with the Lord so young. Um, But the faithfulness of this family is an inspiration. Casey and Cindy are here. And, you know, I I told them a story about a fellow that was at Salem. Um, you would know him, but I'm not going to say his name out loud because some of them watch. But he told me when God called me there, be prepared. And that's all he told me. It scared me to death. And so I brought you a message called be prepared, right? God said a storm is coming, Noah. Be 
prepared. And then we spent two weeks talking about this. The world is under water. The world is under water. Now, next week, I'm going to do part two of today in chapter eight, and we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna to gather around the Lord's table, very sacred time. It's gonna be sort of a perfect alignment with this text. I really wanted to do this in one message, but with the events of the week, I realized that um, that wasn't gonna be wise, and so I'm gonna split it up, but I am gonna call this two-part series High and Dry. High and Dry. Now. Actually, the phrase high and dry is really more of a pejorative phrase. It's actually used somewhat negatively or even sarcastically. So you might say, if a friend doesn't show up, can you believe he left me high and dry? Uh, you, you tend to hear the phrase high and dry in a negative sense. It means essentially you're left in a difficult situation without any help. I had a little truck like that one time. I, I used to always keep a beater truck on the side. The last one I had was, was halfway camoed. I did it myself and my wife begged me. Cindy said, please, please, please don't take that redneck truck to Florida. They're gonna kick us out of the state. She didn't know there was as many rednecks down in North Florida as there were in Northwest North Carolina. Um, Should have taken my truck, but I listened to my wife and life was better for it. But here's the deal, I had a little hunting truck one time, a little Chevy something, a little S10 or something, and it left me high and dry twice. And I'll tell you why, because that little truck didn't have a warning light on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was too old to have a warning light. Well, the truth is I've become accustomed to the warning light. I like the warning light. I need the warning light. And so that truck ran out of gas two times. Now one time Cindy came and rescued me. Another time I was far, far from home. So I'm walking down the highway and I have to walk to the gas station, buy the can, do the walk of shame back to my little old truck. And, you know, it's fine. But the reality is, you know, some people, some people think the Lord has left them high and dry. If you were listening carefully, I made a misstatement on purpose. Do you hear my misstatement? I said, that little truck left me high and dry. No, it didn't. <laughs> I just forgot to put gas in the tank. Some of y'all have said the Lord has left me high and dry and you've made a misstatement. You've misstated that the Lord has left you because I will guarantee you this. I've studied the word long enough to tell you if anybody's left anybody, you've left him. He has not left you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Y'all following me? All straight from the word of the Lord. So if anybody's left you high and dry, it is not the Lord. Now I know some of y'all are too spiritual and sophisticated to say that, but some of you have felt that way in the quiet places of your heart and you just won't admit it. But some of you feel like, where is God. I want you to put yourself in Noah's place as we read the text. I want you to put yourself on the ark. I want you to listen and hear the rain subsiding. I want you to see that the sky is clearing. What is your instinct? What is my instinct? I can promise you I know what I would want to do. Just as quick as that thing came to a rest, can you imagine what it was starting to smell like up in that ark? It's worse than skunk mating season around East Tennessee this time of year. Yes, that's what's causing 100 skunks down Oak Ridge Highway. 
Men, that's a lot lesson for you right there. You're going to get yourself crushed when you're running after the girl, so be careful. Another sermon for another day. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the whole chapter. You ready? We're going to read it twice, this week, next week. Can't hurt us to get it in our head and down deeper into our heart. So, we remember that the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then, God remembered Noah. We'll unpack that phrase. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month. Now, guys, if you were paying attention, can you take your eyeballs right back over to chapter 7, verse 11? That was the second month, 17th day. So what we've got is exactly five months later. I'll explain the difference in lunar and solar calendar. It's not a big deal. Essentially, it's just five months later when the ark comes to a rest. Oh, okay, so Noah was only in there five months. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. He was in there a lot longer than that. It says, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. Notice that. So we're pushing ahead on the calendar. And in the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Now watch this, this multiple symbolism here with the dove. And he sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned to the ark, into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. Now, listen for repetitions, very important. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. It's almost impossible to kill an olive tree if you know anything about olive trees. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Watch. So he waited yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. So he ran out. No, no, no. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the earth, uh, of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark. How much time has passed? About a year. From boarding to disembarking, a year. God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it, church? Be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord 
and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination or that word sort of means intent or thoughts of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Then you almost get this, this poem from the heart of the Lord. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, cold and heat, that means one day in East Tennessee, uh, and winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Heavenly Father, what an incredible account. I'm just blown away when I, and when I try to put myself on that ark, when I attempt to walk in the shoes of this righteous man named Noah, I'm really confounded because I know every inclination of my heart would be, let's go, let's go, let's go. And yet it seems that Noah had the divine gift of patience. I thank you for that. And I pray that we may have it as well and that we may also understand that when you speak, it is imperative that we listen and obey. Thank you, Lord, for speaking already. Teach us, Lord, by your word and your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and be seated. So let's get some powerful lessons here from this receding universal flood and what follows for Noah and his family. So the first truth that I'm seeing emerge out of this, and there are many, uh, this is one of those messages where I'm leaving way more on the cutting floor than I wanted to leave. But in order to get into the bigger flow of Genesis and not have you here for five years, you know, we spent part of the time last year on the first five chapters. We broke, we came back. I've been in six, seven, eight for a while now this year, but I don't want to be here forever. So let me give you some major truths. Number one, if you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. If you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. Some years ago, I did a word study trying to find and study all of the biblical imperatives to wait on the Lord. How many times it occurs depends somewhat on the translation you use. However, it's not just a matter of the English translation. Waiting on the Lord is commanded a lot. Now, why did they take time to do that? Any of you that know me very well, that know me personally, understand that I'm not so inclined to waiting. What are you laughing for? Get out of here, Bob. I'm not, I don't know that you are either, my friend. <clears throat> Meg, can I get a word of testimony? Thank you. So we're a kindred spirit is why you laugh at me. So the reality is I, I definitely, definitely struggle with this. I'm the guy that cries, God, give me patience, give it to me now, right? I just don't do well with waiting. And it's so interesting that when God was calling me to ministry from uh, 96 to 98, and I finally surrender in 98, the key verse that rocked my world, changed my life, is what I consider and have considered now all these years later to be my life verses or Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Because it says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men will utterly fall, which I have many times. But they that wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord, trust the Lord. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And God has so used that verse in so many ways in my life 
And while the Hebrew word for wait out of Isaiah is not exactly the same Hebrew word for wait here that we see, for instance, in verses 10 or verses 12, I know that I need to spend a significant amount of time considering what it means to wait on the Lord. I could make the argument, I'm not wired to wait. I'm not wired to wait. I'm, I'm, I want to go, man. Energizer bunny. Let's get it. Let's go. And yet I do realize I serve a God who's in the rewiring business. And so I may argue that I'm not wired to wait, but the Lord tells me that long-suffering or patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so let me ask a question by show of hands. How many of you have mastered the practice of waiting on the Lord? Praise God. No liars in the room this morning. (laughs) Of course we need help in this area. We want answers, we want movement, and we want it now. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Would you jot this down if you're a note taker? It's patient, confident, expectant hope. Not twiddling your thumbs, but actively trusting in the Lord more than your current circumstances. I'll give you a little time. It'll stay up there. We'll give you time to get it down. As the flood ended and the water receded, Noah did not yet have a direct word from the Lord. At least nothing recorded in Scripture. Always be careful when you make an argument from silence. Some people will attempt to say, well, surely God was speaking to Noah all this time. Really? Show me. Well, surely the Lord said this, that, the other. Not in my Bible. In my Bible, God told him exactly what to build and how to build it. He he told him all the detail. Then God said, go in. And what did God do? Shut the one door behind him. And then it appears by the revelation we have, radio silence. Not one word from the Lord. Anybody ever feel that way? God said, do this, this, this. You say, yes, sir, yes, Lord, yes, I'll do it. And then, not a word. Lord, I I, I, I did what I knew you wanted me to do. Lord, I'm walking in the way I know you wanted me to walk. And yet it's just quiet. In fact, in some of those moments, all you hear is the wind and the waves. In some of those moments, you feel like your world is underwater and you're being rocked. But according to what we read, God is silent. Let me walk you through the first part of this chapter. It says that God remembered Noah. He remembered every living thing. He remembered the animals. God made a wind to pass over the earth. Let's unpack that a little bit. The expression God remembered does not imply that God forgot. God's memory is perfectly intact. The the phrase God remembered, and you've heard it in other places, it is a figure of speech meaning God acted on the basis of his promise to save Noah. Can I encourage you in something? The next time you're in a wingdinger argument with your spouse, why don't you remember the covenant you made before God? I'm preaching to me for a minute too, okay? The next time you're just going at it, why don't you remember she's God's daughter even before she's your spouse? Why don't you remember It's not as though you forgot, but it comes right back to the front of your mind. This figure of speech means God's acting on the basis of his former promise. There are 73 instances in the Old Testament where God is said to remember. 
the remembrance moves God to then send a wind over the earth. It's very interesting. The word wind is the exact same word we find in Genesis 1-2, which speaks about the spirit who hovers over the water. It could be translated wind or spirit. It's ruah. Ruah. So the, the wind is though the spirit of God himself is pushing the waters away. It's interesting. The waters then receded in verse 3. It's reversing what happens in chapter 7, verses 17 and 24. In fact, do you know what's interesting? When I unpack Hebrew words, what I try to do is find the original word, and then I'll look at other places. Where does that word or phrase occur in other places? So as I'm studying this, I found the exact same phraseology over in Exodus 14, 26, when it says that the Red Sea is uh, coming back to its place. It's returning. And so there's this idea that God is super supernaturally controlling the waters. It's likewise in the Jordan in Joshua 4.18. There are several other great saving acts associated with water in the Old Testament and the same phraseology is used. It's this picture of things returning to normal. That a supernatural work has happened and now they're returning. And so exactly five months after the flood starts in verse 4, I pointed it out in the reading, the ark comes to a rest. The Bible says it rests on the mountains of Ararat. Why the mountains? Because this is actually a mountain chain. Ararat specifically, as as though what we know of it today, consists of two volcanic peaks in extreme eastern Turkey near the border with Armenia and Iran. And it's where the ark rests as the flood subsides. We don't need to make too much of that because again, we're using our modern understanding and long before, could it be a slightly different area, slightly different mountain chain? Possibly. But it says in five, the waters decreased continually. The decreasing of the waters was uh, wise. It's slow, it's gradual. And the period of their return to normalcy is about twice as long as their rise. What's very interesting about all of that is if you have ever lived through a flood, and if you have ever seen even a localized flood, you know it can take a very long time for things to go back, to get within their banks, to look as though it's normal. And imagine just how catastrophic this event had been. Now we get this fascinating shift in the narrative and there's a lot more that can be said out of the first six seven verses but there's a an interesting shift that happens and Noah becomes a bird watcher now it's interesting to me because he has no word from the Lord and yet he's not sitting back saying okay God what's next no he goes to the window he eventually takes the covering off the top he's doing things but he's not exiting his place of safety where God shut him in. He's doing things, but he's not getting ahead of the Lord. So what happens here? He sends a raven, then he sends some doves. Now ravens survive on a broad range of food types. By the way, I'm not getting into some of the weird theological positions of the raven represents Satan and the dove represents the Holy Spirit and praise God, we're going to the gospel. We're gonna get to the gospel. 
But I'm not going to make more of these birds than the text allows me to make. A raven is simply a bird that exists on a wide range of foods, carrion, so the bodies of those things which are dead, if they're available. And so the raven can survive in a much different environment. It can fly to and fro. It has a much longer distance of flight. It did then, it does now. Um, And so it could conceivably, if you think about this, if there's water, there are many, many dead animals and people, not to be overly graphic for youth in the room, but this raven could literally go place to place, land and eat, and continue to fly to and fro. Not so with a dove. A dove is much more selective in food choice, and the choice that a dove would make would indicate new life had begun. Again, an olive tree is nearly impossible to kill. You can cut them to the ground, they re-sprout. It's an amazing, amazing tree, and used, of course, all through the Bible. But It's interesting that he chooses these birds and the dove is is limited. So it's gonna stay somewhat close. Lives at lower elevation. It requires it plants for its food. And so I, I think it's important here, but let's not make too much of it. But when we see that this second animal brings back, so there's three doves actually. One goes out, she comes back. One goes out, it brings the olive leaf. I don't know that this is not the same one, but then he sends another one, and of course it does not return. But in the bringing of the olive leaf, it would have taken some time. As water receded, the plant bud is budding, or at least exposed, and the leaf is there for that bird to pluck and to bring back. It is symbolic of new life and fertility coming after the flood. And so... It's very interesting here, but again, I'm not going to make mountains out of molehills. It's this repetition that's fascinating to me because if I compare what I'm reading in this section to what I read in chapter 7, I'll be honest with y'all, it's very boring. Chapter 7, man, things are happening. Think about it. The heavens are busted open. The foundations, the fountains of the deep are busted apart. Water is raging and moving. The ark is lifted high, even higher than the highest of peaks, which is now, remember, it's coming up. Continents are shifting and moving. The world is changing. It's an incredible scene. Death is everywhere. And now Noah's waiting a week on a bird and waiting again on another bird. And it just seems like all of the chaos has slowed way down. And Noah's just doing a little of this and doing a little of that. Opens the window, dispatches the raven. The dove makes three journeys. Noah sees that the earth is dry. Put yourself in the ark. What do you do when you see that the earth is dry? I know what I'm doing. Open that door and get me out of here. Have any of y'all ever done any cruising? We've done some cruises as a family. And I can tell you the truth. We were on one of the biggest ships Royal Caribbean had ever made. 6,000 plus passengers, 2,500 staff. You had 80 some hundred people riding the, the ocean on this thing. And I could not wait to get off. I'm the excursion guy. I'm okay on a boat for a little while. And I love being out on the water here every chance we get. But the reality is I like the land too. I like to snorkel. I like to experience things. I am the excursion master. I do not want to stay. Some of y'all go cruising. you like, just give me a chair. Give me a book. Let me sit by the pool. You're weird. I want to do something. 
Get me off this boat. I don't care how big it is. I want to go see something, experience something. I mean, all of these different places we've been, and I can't wait one day, maybe if the Lord's willing to go maybe to Alaska or something. If you want to love your pastor with that, that'd be a blessing from the Lord. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> sneak that in. The reality is, is I know how I would feel. And yet Noah is doing all that Noah can do and no more. Think about all of these months passing by. Five months, things have stopped. The boat's resting. I mean, listen, you know how long it can take for the ground to really dry out. Now, all y'all living near Beaver Creek, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All you pal folks and folks out here, you know what I'm talking about. But it takes a very long time. But the, I love what one commentator said. He said this, the excitement Noah experienced was tempered with the discipline of delay. Man, what a good phrase. The discipline of delay. Scholars don't agree to the exact duration of the flood. Listen, some take a solar calendar. Some take a lunar calendar. Slightly longer, slightly shorter months. Would you not strain out a gnat to swallow a camel? It's a year, y'all. It's a year. Give or take a week or two, it's one calendar year. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. And if you're a note guy, jot it down. It's an important truth. If God has clearly opened a door in front of you, walk. If God, and I would say, and only God, has not clearly opened a door, wait. How do I know if it's the Lord? Wait for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Without perfect clarity and peace, be still and know that he is God. If there is a check in your spirit, if something doesn't feel quite right, you wait until the Holy Spirit brings peace. Again, I'm not gonna overplay the dove motif, but you guys know, you guys know that the dove is the symbol of peace, the symbol of the spirit. If you are living in turmoil without peace, God is not the author of such things. You need to have the peace from God that surpasses all understanding to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and you need to wait on the Lord. Remember the church of Philadelphia out of Revelation 3, 7. The Bible says that God would open doors that no man could close, and God would close doors that no man can open. Don't you go ever kicking a door down. Noah did not kick the door down from the ark. Noah waited for a word from God to open that door. And God doesn't tell Noah when the ground has dried out, even though he did tell him when the flood would start and exactly how to build the ark. I find it fascinating that God told Noah some things, and at least in Revelation, God didn't tell him other things. Here, Noah moves from passive recipient of Revelation to being an active investigator of the world around him. I want to give you a brilliant thought. I read this, and I've kind of tweaked it from a book I was reading on this. It's, listen to the, what the writer says. Uh, Noah shows that this is um, from a book on Brent, uh, Genesis from Briscoe, and I don't know how to pronounce the other guy's name. If you're interested, I can tell you what it's from, though. But it says, Noah shows the excitement of exploration. Utilize, utilizing resources available, in this case, a raven and a dove, Noah starts a sort of crude scientific exploration of his new creation. I love this, this insight. Modern man has a tendency to think he is so smart and all his forebearers were just chugging along, waiting for modern man to appear on the scene and get it all together. But Noah knew what he was doing. It would be a long time before Pavlov would, experience, would experiment with dogs and Skinner with pigeons, but Noah knew how to use animals to discover the world around him. 
It would be a long time before modern man would articulate the scientific method, but Noah understood how to make a hypothesis, experiment, and come to a conclusion. There was no way he was going to trust himself to a new post-flood environment without the kind of evidence that would assure him it's time to move. Now listen to this conclusion. It's extremely important. His exploration in no way reflected on his faith any more than being a man of faith suggests that rational inquiry inquiry is out of order. See, some of y'all think that getting into the sciences or studying history somehow can degrade or negate your faith. That is not true. Be a student of history. Be a student of science. Be a great scientist. We have some people here that are studying paleontology. Do it for the glory of God. Studying different sciences. Do it for the glory of God. Let your biblical worldview inform you. Don't look through the lens of atheism. Certainly look through the lens of biblical theism. But make sure you explore the wonderful world God has given you. And don't be afraid of such things. Noah is one of our first recorded scientists. It's a good thing, guys. He sent out a bird, and then he would wait. He'd send out a bird, and then he would wait. And it's just wait, and wait, and wait. There was a friend of mine in seminary. He wanted to be married, uh, Dr. Cat knows exactly who this is. He taught him, he wanted to be married so bad. I'm already married at the time. Uh, I have one child when I enter school. Shortly thereafter, God gives us Holly. Then God gives us Hannah. Then eventually God would give us little Bobby. But in between kids two and three for us, my buddy, we were in the PhD program together. We roomed together. So we would go and stay in a particular hotel and split the cost because we had to come to campus, but we were both pastoring. So we drove from different sides of the state and he wanted to be married so bad. In fact, there were some times in our room where he would literally just weep. And he would say, man, I love what God's given you and I'm so happy for you, but man, I want a wife. He was a little older than me. And um, finally, one night, we were in the throes of something deep with the PhD program and he said, you know what I need to do? I need to focus on being a good and godly pastor. I need to focus on getting this degree and doing what God called me to do. And I need to stop trying to manufacture this and I need to learn to wait on the Lord. I'm telling y'all, it was not a few weeks later. And we were in the student center. They're, you know, milling around, eating something. And there's this gal across the way. And he looks at her and he looks at me and he says, oh yeah. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute now. Wait a minute now, you know what you just told the Lord? And he said, no, I'm not gonna pursue anything. So I thought, well, this is my moment. So I pulled a Tom Cruise Top Gun. I just went up and started singing to her. I'm married, I don't care. And I said, he kind of likes you back there. And so I embarrassed him greatly. A few months later, he asked her to be his wife. A few months later, they got married. Now he's a pastor with a couple of kids of his own. He's doing fabulous. But it was truly when he said, I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna stop this pursuit. I'm gonna stop worrying about it. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna just trust that God, if he wants me to be married, is gonna just bring her right there. And a couple of weeks passed. Now I'm not saying God's gonna do that for you. If you're single, don't come up and tell me to do a Tom Cruise for you. I'm not gonna do it. He's weird. But I do want you to understand, it's when my buddy let go that God was able to give him the desire of his heart. He didn't stop praying for it. And let's be honest, he didn't stop desiring it. But he stopped attempting to manufacture it. 
And so some of us really need to hear this truth and apply this truth. Keep your focus more on the Lord than what you want. Do you think Noah wanted to get out of that smelly ark? You know he did. Come on. Keep your focus more on the Lord than what you want. Trust the planner more than the plan. Love the one giving you good gifts more than the gifts themselves. If you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. Now, I want to give you this point, but I'm not going to talk about it, but for just one second, and then we're going to move on to our invitation. I do want to give you this, and next week I'm going to unpack it. When the Lord speaks, obey promptly and completely. Obey promptly and completely. You see it, right? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, right through the heart of this chapter. Noah waited, Noah waited, Noah waited, God spoke, Noah moved. There's a pattern here. In fact, not just Noah moved, because it's, it's interesting, guys. Did you notice from the beginning of the narrative till now, God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Noah, and it's repeated right here in 15. But who did it affect? Everyone and everything around Noah. Everyone and everything around Noah. So sometimes the Lord is speaking to someone or through someone who's speaking to you. I pray that's what God does through a biblically saturated pastor who takes from the word of the Lord and he comes back and he says, thus saith the Lord. You say, God, speak. Listen. Listen. God gave Noah a word and it affected everyone and everything about him. I know what I would have done. As soon as that last bird didn't come back, I'm like, somebody get a crowbar and get that big heavy door open. I'm out of here. Think about it. We've got stuff to do. Let's go. We'll come back to that next week, but I want to close with this. Think about all the times in your life where you have really genuinely desired something. Think about it. Sometimes you get it in your time frame. Sometimes you don't. Is God more or less active when you don't? No. Friends, Garth Brooks wrote a song. Sometimes I thank God for good song, terrible theology. See, I believe when you're right with God and you don't have sin hindering your prayer, because it will not go past this ceiling with unconfessed sin before the Lord. The Bible is clear on this issue. But if you are right before a holy God and you are seeking God's face, remember what I've told you. It's no, no is a valid answer. It's grow, I'm gonna give it to you, you're not ready yet. It's slow, right thing, wrong time. We're gonna start with that point next week. Or it's go. Here you go. But God can say no. I believe if you are a man or a woman of God, God is answering your prayer. But if you are not a child of God yet, if you are not born again, if you are not a Christian, you need to remember that you are a sinner whose sin has separated you from a holy God. 
You cannot work your way toward God, not even one inch to heaven. Because the very best you offer God is the Bible says filthy rags. What you must first do is raise the white flag and surrender completely. Lay before the Lord in this sense, at least your heart posture. God, I know I don't deserve a relationship with you. I know I don't deserve that the creator of all the universe would hear my feeble prayers. I know I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. But I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was buried and raised by your power the third day. And God, I believe that he alone is the way that I can have a relationship with you. There's one door, one ark, one good shepherd, one savior. God, I want to turn from sin and self, and I want to turn from trusting in what I can do to what Jesus has already done. When you do that, this channel, this flow, this conduit of blessing opens up because now you are part of the family of God. Those words are not mystical or magical. You don't have to say exactly what I've said. But you have to express a heart of repentance and faith, a willingness to turn, a willingness to trust, a willingness to believe that God loves you, that God loves your family, that God loves you on the mountaintop when the ark is high and dry, and God loves you in the valley when the storm is raging. He is the same God. And if you feel distant, Friend, you're the one that's moved. Our God will never leave you high and dry. Stand with me this morning. Here's what I want to do for our invitation. Number one, pastors and counselors are available to you if you need to give your life to Jesus. We had so many students right over here the other day doing this. All you got to do is come. We'll share the truth with you in love. We'll counsel you. Men to men, women to women, we'll love you well with the truth. If you need to come back to the Lord, I promise you, if you're distant from God, you have fallen away. Come back today. Resurrender your life. If you know the Brogdon family, this is a house of prayer. I'm going to ask you to pour out and love them well by interceding on their behalf. Pray over this family. You so beautifully have prayed for Mike. He preached his own mother's uh, funeral service this past Monday, and God allowed him to share the gospel with family and friends. And so you can continue to pray for Mike as well, but pray for Mike Brogdon and the Brogdon family. If you'll please be willing to come and just fill this place, you can come and pray for Revival. I believe, you see, we're experiencing a revival already in a sense, but I'd say, Lord, do it even more. Let's see more people get saved. Set on the road to discipleship. God, do it. God, keep doing it. Don't ever make it about Grace Baptist Church or us. Make it about you and your glory, your fame. Nobody ever needs to know our name, but we want them to know your name. If you can come and beg God for that, I again believe God hears the fervent righteous prayers of his people. So as I pray, the altar will open up, the counselors and pastors are available. You come as so led. Thank you so much for watching us today. 
God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.